All right, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words and his commands. So we will continue our study of the book of Revelation. It's hard to believe we are already at the tail end of the book of Revelation. So we're nearing the completion of this very important book of the Holy Scripture. So tonight we're going to study the first half of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to focus on a very important topic, which is the wedding supper of the Lamb. So let's go ahead and open the book of Revelation chapter 19. And the verses are one down to two. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to Yahuwah, our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Alleluia, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And so when we turn to the book of Revelation chapter 19, we are introduced to a great multitude praising Yahuwah Allahim, claiming Alleluia, Salvation and glory and honor belong to Yahuwah, our God. And so what we find is this celebration in heaven expressed by uh, hymns and songs. And one of the reasons why there is celebration in heaven is because the judgment is complete. The harlot is already judged. And we saw the unfolding of the seven bowls of wrath which concluded in Revelation chapter 18. And so this will introduce a new age. The consummation of the new age will come to pass soon. And so there's great celebration in this anticipation. And so there's going to be great praises to be sung there in heaven. And what also happens next, who joins in this celebration? Let's read Revelation 19, 4 to 5. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. So the 24 elders, the four living creatures, which were present and were involved in him singing and praise all throughout the book of Revelation. They are introduced again here for the final time. And there is Alleluia, praises be to our loving Father, Yahuwah. And then a voice was heard. And what does this voice say? Revelation 19, 6 to 8. And I heard as the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, because rain did Yahuwah God, the Almighty, may we rejoice and exult and give the glory to him, because come did the marriage of the Lamb, and his wife did make herself ready, and there was given to her that she may be arrayed with fine linen, pure and shiny, for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And so as this praise is being sung, towards Yahuwah Elohim, there's given another reason for rejoicing and praise. What is that? The Bible says, Halal Yah, because rain did Yahuwah God, the Almighty, and then 
because Ham did the marriage of the lamb and his wife did make herself ready. And so when we look at this passage of scripture, at some point there in heaven, the marriage, the wedding was already consummated. The wedding was completed. And so the bride becomes the wife of our king, Yahusha, there in heaven. So there's celebration in heaven. And after the bride becomes the wife, Bible says she makes herself ready. And so after the wedding, after the exchange of vows, after it's been consummated, something is going to happen next, which is why the Bible tells us that the wife will make herself ready. And how will the wife, the bride of our King Yahusha, make herself ready? She will be arrayed with fine linen, pure and shining, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. And so when we are introduced to this imagery of a wedding ceremony, and when we are introduced to this symbol of Yahusha being the, the, the groom and the church or the assembly being the bride, we know it's symbolism, right? I mean, the bride of Yahusha is not one person. It represents a collective, a group of people. It just wants to show us the relationship that our King Yahusha has with the people who have been purchased by his shed blood and is beautifully illustrated by a wedding, by a marriage. And it is symbolized in this fashion because when we study all about the Hebrew wedding, it tells us in depth the meaning, the significance for why the assembly or the church is regarded as the bride, the wife-to-be of our king, Yahushua. And so for us to appreciate this imagery, we need to study the Hebrew idiom or the Hebrew wedding. This is why when we look at the Hebrew wedding, we know during the days of the first century, when they practiced the wedding ceremony, it involved many stages, had several steps to it. It wasn't simply getting engaged and then getting married the following day. It took and followed a process. This is why this process, which comes in different steps and stages, is what is being introduced or used as a symbol for the relationship between Yahushua and the Ecclesia. And so let's go ahead and take a look at the steps involved when it comes to the Hebrew wedding. Step number one is the purchase of the bride. And so when this takes place, the process starts with the groom negotiating a price for the virgin bride with both the bride and her father. And so the groom is going to approach the parents of the bride and he's going to negotiate an appropriate price because after all, when the groom will take this bride-to-be to be his own, it means that for that family, they're going to lose a source by which they can earn a living. And so a price had to be given. And so the price reflects how much the groom thinks his bride is worth versus the amount of loss the bride's family will incur from losing her as a worker. The mohar was his negotiating price, the payment he had to make to purchase his bride. Once the mohar was negotiated, the bride was set apart, sanctified, 
for her bridegroom. So that's the first step of a Hebrew wedding, finding the appropriate payment for the bride-to-be. Take note, weddings, according to the Hebrew way of doing things, was like redemption. It's like you're purchasing uh, the bride. And so that's the first step. The next step is the betrothal. So the couple was then betrothed or engaged in the recognized legal transaction. And they were technically married. This is called the ketubah, the betrothal, which was generally initiated by the bridegroom. He's the one who establishes the marriage covenant. And so after the mohar was determined and the groom pays what needed to be paid so that the bride can belong to him, Tom's neck, what comes next is the betrothal, which is what we call today being engaged. Perhaps they fill out the marriage contract. And so it is a tech, it, technically they are legally married. And so in the eyes of the Hebrew law, they are considered in a way husband and wife, although the marriage hasn't been consummated yet. But in the, in the eyes of the law, they are technically married. This is why when it re when a couple reaches this stage and then there's adultery, a divorce had to be issued. Okay, And so this was called the ketubah, which is the marriage covenant. So that's step number two. Step number three is the cup of the covenant. So as a symbol of the covenant relationship that had been established, the groom and the bride in the way they kind of celebrate, right? So they drink a cup of wine over which the betrothal had been pronounced. So that's step number three. After this, after this celebration and this drinking from the cup of wine, something is gonna happen next. What is that next step? This next step is kind of sad on the part of both parties, but especially the bride. Why is that? Because step four it is about the departure. And so at, uh, at that point in the traditional ancient Jewish wedding ceremony, uh, the bridegroom would depart to his father's house where he would prepare a room for her. This is called the hupa or bridal chamber. Sometimes it took quite a while uh, to construct and prepare this room during which time he would, by the nature of his commitment, uh, remain separated or apart from her. It typically takes between one to two years for the bridegroom's return. The groom's father was responsible for building the bridal chamber or the house of his, on his property and stocking it with, high enough, with, high, with enough provisions to last the, the new couple one week. And so this uh, part of the process of the Hebrew wedding is it usually takes quite some time because the groom is going to say bye-bye to the bride and go to the father's house to prepare the bridal chambers called the kupa. And so during this time of separation, this time of departure, where the, gro the groom and the bride are separated from each other physically, uh, what is the tradition? What happens next so that the bride would, off, would still remember and continue to long for the groom? Because after all, if you're separated from someone, we call that a long distance relationship, 
it can be a challenge, right? And so what would usually happen uh, during this phase of the Hebrew wedding? In step number five, the giving of gifts. So while the bride awaits the return of the bridegroom, she receives gifts. These gifts primarily come from the bridegroom, right? So the purpose of these gifts is for the bride to remember the bridegroom and be assured of his return. So it keeps the bride longing. It feeds the hunger in herself to, to have this longing for the groom so that she doesn't lose interest, so that she remains engaged in the relationship. So that's step number five. And then step number six of the Hebrew wedding is the consecration of the bride. So while the bride awaits the return of the bridegroom, she consecrates herself by being loyal, committed, and devoted only to her groom. And so she cannot have like an affair or she cannot have a relationship with someone else as she waits for the groom to appear and come get her. And when you have an affair with someone, what do you call that? Adultery, right? Because technically they're already what? Married. And so when she's in this phase, what is required of her is complete and utter devotion, devotion only to her groom. And so she waits, she consecrates herself. And at last, step number seven, the bridegroom returns. Now, neither the bridegroom nor the bride knew the day or the hour when their new home would be complete. Only the groom's father knew because the groom's father is the one preparing, right? Uh, he's the one in charge of this new place, this new room. And so during this time of waiting, the bride would be watching with her lamp filled with oil and ready to be lit for her, for her groom's return. When the groom's father declared the new, the new home complete, the bridegroom and his friends would go to claim his bride, usually at midnight, uh, to surprise her. As the party approached the house, one of the men would blow a trumpet announcing the groom is coming. The sound alerted the bride and her bridesmaid to get dressed for the wedding and light their lamps. And so eventually, step number seven, this long period of waiting is going to come to an end. And lo and behold, at the sound of trumpets, the groom returns, the groom takes his bride, and they have the wedding ceremony. And so this is step number eight, wedding day consummation. This leads to the wedding day itself, which is in Hebrew is called the hoopah. The hoopah refers to the canopy that covers the bridal chamber. And beneath this covering, the bride and the bridegroom are reunited. Prior to entering the chamber, the bride remained veiled so that no one could see her face. While the groomsmen and bridesmaids waited outside, the bride and groom entered the bridal chamber alone. There, in the privacy of that place, they entered into physical union for the first time, thereby uh, consummating the marriage that had been covenanted earlier. And so this is the wedding day consummation of uh, the, the marriage or the wedding, which is really what we consider today the wedding day itself, right? So they enter the bridal chamber, and in, in the bridal chamber, they exchange vows, they make a commitment, and they do something else, which is to consummate 
the marriage. So once the marriage has been consummated, guess what? The bride is now going to get herself ready to make the announcement to the public. And so this is step number nine, which is called the marriage supper. So after the marriage was consummated, the groom uh, comes out of the bridal chamber and announces the consummation of the marriage as true husband and wife. And they would celebrate with a glorious marriage supper for seven days. So this is the Hebrew wedding. And whenever the scriptures speak of the relationship between our King Yahushua and the Ecclesia as that of a husband and wife or a bride and a groom, it's because it's communicating to us something very deep. And this deep idea that is communicated is by understanding the Hebrew wedding. So now we have the nine steps of the Hebrew wedding. In general, it comes in two major stages. The division of marriage into two separate events originated in very ancient times when marriage was a purchase, both in its outward form and its inner meaning. Marriage, as with any type of purchase, consisted of two acts. First, the price was paid and an agreement reached on the conditions of sale. Sometime later, the purchaser took possession of the object. In marriage, the mohar was paid and a detailed agreement reached between the families of the bride and groom. This betrothal was followed by the wedding when the bride was brought into the home of the groom who took actual possession of her. And so you have the betrothal period and then the waiting period because the groom departs and then the groom returns and consummates the wedding. And so this beautifully illustrates what we can expect to happen now that we are considered the bride of our King Yahusha. So let's go ahead and take, go, go back and look at these different steps and see how it corresponds to events as far as our relationship with Yahusha is concerned, belonging to the ecclesia. And so let's go to step number one, the purchase of the bride price. Remember, the price that is to be paid reflects how much the groom thinks of his bride. And so we know our King Yahusha is the groom. The ecclesia is the bride. What do you think Yahusha is going to pay for his bride? What, do you what is the thinking of our King Yahusha? How much is his bride worth to him? Well, let's go ahead and read Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So we know that we who belong to the ecclesia, we have been purchased, we have been bought at a price, the mohar. Well, what in the estimation of our King Yahusha is our worth? Let's read the book of 1 Peter. 118 to 19, what how much did our King Yahusha pay for his bride? Let's read Peter 118 to 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so, in as far as our King Yahusha is concerned. How much 
is the ecclesia. How much are we worth to him? Our King Yahushua says, we are worth his blood. In other words, he loved us so much, he was willing to give up his life for our sake. So we were purchased not by gold or silver. We were purchased by his own precious blood. That's what it cost Yahushua so that we can become his bride. Isn't that amazing? That's how much our King Yahushua thinks of us. So much that he's willing not only to die, but to endure the cross for each and every one of us. And so let's go to step number two, the betrothal. What, who are those who are considered uh, engaged or betrothed? To our King Yahusha. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so the ecclesia is regarded as the chaste virgin, betrothed to one husband, that one husband being who? Our King Yahusha. And so to celebrate this relationship because the betrothal part of the wedding uh, process involves a covenant. A covenant is made, a covenant is drafted, and both parties agree to the covenant and to kind of testify to that covenant what had to happen next. There has to be a drinking of a cup of wine. Did this happen? Did this take place? Absolutely. Matthew 26, 26 to 28, and as they were eating, Yahushua took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so when our King Yahushua was here on earth, before he ascended to heaven, before he died and was resurrected, he sat with his disciples and he took the cup that contains what? The wine. And he drank with his disciples. And then he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. And so when he did this with his disciples, what did this represent as far as the symbolism is concerned? They, they drank together in order to celebrate the new covenant that Yahushua has made with his bride. And so they were officially engaged at this point. And so we can see the connection between the, the wedding ceremony, the Hebrew wedding, and Yahushua's relationship with the ecclesia. But it doesn't stop there. Let's go to step number four, which is the departure. We know after Yahushua drank the wine, what happened to him? He was arrested, then he was crucified, and then he resurrected. After he resurrected, what did he do? He ascended to heaven. And so this corresponds nicely to, this, to the next step of the Hebrew wedding, which is the departure, because the groom is going to depart. Where is the groom going to go? The father's house. What is he going to do at his father's house? Prepare a room for her. The hoopah or bridal chamber. So did our King Yahushua fulfill 
this process or this stage or part of the process of the Hebrew wedding? Yeah, because he even announced what would happen even before he died. In Matthew 9, 15, Yahushua replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. And so the groom is going to be taken away because there is that process that is included in the Hebrew weddings, uh, Hebrew wedding uh, stages that Yahushua is going to fulfill. He's going to eventually depart from his bride. And in Acts 1, 9 to 11, this was fulfilled. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Yahushua, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so Yahushua, being the groom, it's time for him to depart, time for him to leave the bride. And this was fulfilled when he ascended where? To heaven. You notice Yahushua's fulfilling pattern? Even when it comes to the pattern of the wedding ceremony, Yahushua is fulfilling it. And so he ascends to heaven, but then the Bible says he will come back. Because according to the Hebrew wedding, the bridegroom is going to return. And so there's assurance for the Ecclesia. You see Yahushua go to heaven, but do not be dismayed because he's going to come back. Well, why did he have to leave in the first place? John 14, 1-3, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And so why does Yahushua need to go or ascend to heaven? Because he needs to go back to his father's house and prepare our room for us. What is that room called again? The hoopah or the bridal chamber. Once that's complete, what will Yahushua do? He's going to come back and he's going to bring us to be together with him forevermore. This is why Yahushua had to ascend to heaven. And so this is our situation today, right? When it comes to where we are in the sequence of events, as far as the relationship between Yahushua and his bride, the Ecclesia is concerned, we are now in the waiting period. Yahushua is in heaven. We are here on earth, but we are the bride of our king, Yahushua. We are being prepared for our wedding day. And so it's very, very difficult, isn't it? To have a long distance relationship, especially if it's really, really long. I mean, really, really far because Yahushua is in heaven. We are here on earth. But do you still remember stage number five that will keep us engaged when it comes to this relationship with our king, Yahushua? What is that step? The giving of gifts. And so the bride receives gifts from who? The gift must come from the bridegroom. Because the purpose of the giving of gifts is so that we will remember the bridegroom and be assured of his return. Was this also fulfilled by our King Yahushua? Let's read the book of Acts 1, 4 to 8. Once 
when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So according to our King Yahushua, right after he ascends to heaven, the departure, Yahushua says, I'm going to give you the gift that he promised. What is that gift? The gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a gift coming from Yahushua. And what would be the purpose of this gift? Let's read Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. And, as, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And so what would be the purpose of the giving of the Spirit? It is a guarantee that we belong to who? Our king, Yahushua. And so we will remember him and that we belong to him. Why do we belong to him? Because we were already purchased. By what? His precious blood. And so we need to be reminded by the Holy Spirit of our condition as redeemed by the blood of our king, Yahushua. And with the Holy Spirit, not only are we reminded, we are guaranteed that we will receive the inheritance because after all, when the wedding is finally consummated, we shall inherit together with our King Yahushua the whole earth. This is why the wedding supper is being prepared. And we'll talk a little, a little bit about that later on. But what we need to know now is that the Holy Spirit is the gift from our King Yahushua that will keep us engaged in thinking about him and being loyal to him. How so? John 14, 15 to 18, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So Yahushua, through the Holy Spirit, it's like he is still in us. Even though he is physically from a, uh, far away from us physically, but when it comes to our fellowship with him, he can still be in us through the Holy Spirit. And what also is the purpose of this gift of the Holy Spirit? So that the ecclesia can remain loyal, devoted to him. Let's read the book of Romans 12, 6 to 8. In his grace, uh, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, 
do it gladly. And so now that we are waiting for our King Yahushua to return, and we have been given gifts so that we can remain loyal and devoted to him, how must we make use of the gifts? Bible says use that gift to edify the entire ecclesia. This is why the gift of the Holy Spirit is manifested in different abilities. Abilities of which the purpose is to edify or to strengthen those who belong to the ecclesia. Because when we speak of the bride, it is the ecclesia consisting of many people, not one or two, but many people who need to be edified and prepared. This is why the, we need to use our gifts. We need to teach. We need to serve. We need to give. We need to show kindness. We need to lead. All the gifts of the Holy Spirit must be manifested in us for the sake of the building up of the ecclesia. So that's step five. We're waiting. And as we wait, we're using the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so while we wait, what is expected of us? Let's read step six, the consecration of the bride, loyal, commitment, and devoted. You know how much devotion we must show our King Yahushua while we wait? Let's read 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 2 down to 3. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. And so how can we show that we are consecrated to our King Yahushua? By being completely devoted to him. What kind of devotion? Pure and undivided. This is why when our King Yahushua, when he was here on earth, said, You do not have many teachers. When he said there's only one teacher, one Messiah, one leader, that's who? Him. In other words, what he's telling us is that we must have our pure and undivided devotion to our King Yahushua. This is why if we're going to be loyal and committed to another so-called spiritual leader here on earth, then what would become of our undivided devotion to Yahushua? That would be called adultery, right? And we do not want to commit spiritual adultery because there are people today who are requiring their members in this particular religious group, they're requiring loyalty and devotion for themselves. However, when we pledge loyalty and undivided devotion, to a leader, a religious leader here on earth, what would that mean? Adultery. Because our pure and undivided devotion must be towards who? Yahushua. Not anyone else here on earth, but to our King Yahushua. Because we are the bride of our King Yahushua. Our pure and undivided, undivided loyalty and devotion must be to him. This is why if you're going to write a salisai or a statement, you should not make a pledge to any leader here on earth. Instead, we make a pledge to our King Yahushua only to you. You are our leader because you are our king. You are our head. You are the Mashiach. And so our undivided devotion must be accorded only to Yahushua, our bridegroom. And so after that, what, what will eventually happen? 
as we wait for our King Yahusha. Let's read in step seven, the Bible says, I mean, the Hebrew wedding uh, process, step number seven says the return of the bridegroom at last. And so as the party approaches the house, one of the men would blow a trumpet announcing the groom is coming. And so when the, <clears throat> the groom finally comes, there's this big celebration and the bride is taken with him. And as the saying goes, they will live happily ever after, right? And so how will this be fulfilled? The book of Thessalonians, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so what are we expecting to happen? So that we who are the bride of our King Yahusha will be with him forevermore. We're waiting for the sound of that trumpet. And when that trumpet sounds, who will we see? Our, our bridegroom, our groom, our king, Yahusha, who will descend from heaven. And once he begins to descend from heaven, what shall become of us? The Bible says we will be caught up together with him there in the clouds. So Yahusha is going to return, but he's not going to go to earth. He's going to remain there in the clouds, and we're going to be caught up together with him so that we can be with him always happily ever after, right? And so this is what we are preparing for. This is the next event that will happen. This hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen soon. And when it happens, we, the bride, the ecclesia, ought to rejoice because finally we will be brought to him. And this will take place and it's called the harpazo, the catching up towards the clouds to be with Yahusha. And why will Yahusha bring us to the clouds? Why? What is the purpose of our King Yahusha in returning for his bride? Bible says, remember, Yahusha went to heaven to prepare the hupa, which is the bridal chambers in his father's home. And when that's ready, what will he do? He will come back, harpazo us into the clouds. And from the clouds, he will take us where? Where he is now. Where we're going to be staying, which is his father's house. In other words, we're going to be celebrating the wedding day, which is step number eight, the wedding itself. We will go into the hoopah or the bridal chamber, and the marriage will be consummated there in the father's house or in heaven. And so the actual wedding takes place in heaven and so when this takes place or is allowed to take place there's great celebration in heaven this is what revelation 19 6 to 8 is all about the bible says hallelujah hallelujah because rain did yahuwah god the almighty we may rejoice and exult and give glory to him why because this is one of the reasons why there's great celebration in heaven because the beast, the false prophet, and Shatan, they're all going to be destroyed soon. They're going to be destroyed. Because all the bulls of wrath 
has come down upon them and they have been destroyed. And then there's going to be this celebration. There's Yahuwah allowed that this marriage of the Lamb take place to be consummated. And so once it's consummated, now the, the, the wife is ready to make the announcement, right? In other words, the supper, the, the supper is being prepared. The supper is ready. And so she is preparing herself to be arrayed with fine linen, pure and shiny, for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints. In other words, what is revealed in the hupa is her chastity, her virginity. In other words, her works, that she has remained faithful and loyal to our king, Yahusha. And so he's going to wear white, fine linen, and the bride of our king, Yahusha, is going to make an announcement soon. And where will the, this announcement be made? It will be made on earth because the wedding supper celebration will take place on earth. This is why before this celebration is going to take place, the Bible says the wife did make herself ready. She wears the fine linen, uh, the pure and shining fine linen, and she, together with his, her husband, Yahusha, our king, they're going to go to earth. Why? What's going to happen on earth? Bible says in Revelation 19, 11 and 16, I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. We know who that is. Our king, Yahusha, in 14, who's going to accompany him. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. So who's going to be joining our king, Yahusha? The ecclesia, the bride, the wife of our king, Yahusha. Because remember, we're going to inherit what belongs to our King Yahushua. And Yahushua is going to return to earth to claim what belongs to him. As the kinsman redeemer, he's going to redeem the earth. And that will be our inheritance as well. And so we're going to co-rule with him. And we're going to have the supper celebration there on earth. This is why in verse 9, after the announcement and the celebration in heaven, comes Revelation 19.9. The angel said to me, right, blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of Allahim. In other words, the supper needs to be prepared for. This is why there's a second coming of our king, Yahushua. At his second coming, he prepares for the wedding supper of the Lamb by removing, completely destroying the beast, the false prophet, and the devil's going to be in prison. And we're going to talk about that next week in the second half of Revelation chapter 19. And so we know that once the announcement has been made, the hallelujah has been declared because Yahuwah allowed the marriage of the lamb to take place. And now the, uh, the bride is ready wearing fine linen, ready to go back to earth and to announce this wedding supper of the lamb is going to take place on earth. What will happen? Step nine will be fulfilled. After the marriage was consummated, there's going to be an announcement. There's going to be a marriage supper for seven days, right? And so this basically represents the millennial kingdom. And when we think of the Moedim, 
Uh, it is what is being set up after the judgment of our King Yahushua. It is the seven-day celebration of the Feast of, what was that again? I forgot. What feast was that? That seven-day feast? Well, actually eight days with the eight day pointing to heaven. Yeah, the Feast of Tabernacle. So there's a seven-day celebration of the supper, the wedding feast. And in the book of Judges, in Hebrew weddings, typically there's a seven days of the wedding feast. This was illustrated in the book of Judges 14, 12, 14, 15 to 17. So there was a whole seven days of the wedding feast. And so when our king, when the Bible announced or the angel announced that there's going to be the supper that's going to be coming soon, it means Yahushua is going to return to earth and establish the kingdom of Elohim. And there's going to be celebration there. This is why when this was announced by the angel, Apostle John fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to, but uh, he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Yahushua. Worship God for the testimony of Yahushua is the spirit of prophecy. And so we know that the prophecy that was fulfilled in the first advent of our King Yahushua, right, will also be fulfilled concerning the second advent because when you look at the prophecies because the the purpose of prophecy is to testify who yahusha in fact the purpose of scripture is to testify who yahusha when you read the prophets when you read the old testament books and even portions of the new testament many of the prophecies point to the first advent and the second advent of our king yahusha the first advent already been fulfilled. But there's many more prophecies that have not been fulfilled. The majority of these prophecies mentioned by the prophets that have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled during the second coming or the second advent of our king, Yahushua. This is why during the first advent of our king, Yahushua, when he established the covenant with his disciples, when he celebrated the engagement or the betrothal, Yahushua also announced something else. What is that? Matthew 26, while they were eating, Yahushua took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so this was concerning the new covenant because Yahushua drafted a new covenant with his bride. When it was time for the betrothal process to be made. So Yahushua is engaged with his bride to celebrate that engagement, to seal it. They drank a cup of wine, which represented the blood of our king, Yahushua. And so this was done during the first advent. However, after doing this, Yahushua says in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on. Until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. That would be the kingdom that would be set up here on earth during the millennial reign. And so our King Yahushua in verse 29 gives us a prophecy that he will come back. And when he comes back, there's going to be a celebration again. The supper. And so his first advent, the celebration was the betrothal. The engagement, drinking of the cup, because for the new covenant, when he returns to earth, the second coming, 
This is now the second advent. And its purpose is to fulfill the promises of the new covenant that was set up when the cup was drank, when the new covenant was established. And so the connection between 26 all the way to 28 and 29 are the two covenant, the two uh, advents of our King Yahushua the first and the second, which corresponds beautifully to the entire wedding ceremony. Isn't that beautiful? How Yahushua's program and what he will do for the sake of salvation follows the pattern of the Hebrew wedding. This is why we're waiting for our King Yahushua to return so that we can be wed to him officially because now we are betrothed to him. If it, when he comes back and takes us to himself, we're going to belong to him as his wife because it will be consummated. And so the question is, according to the Hebrew wedding, how can we be a part? How can we become the bride of Yahushua, right? Because when you look at everything that we've un uncovered so far, those who are truly blessed are those who are considered the bride of Yahushua, am I right? So how can we know if we are the bride of our King Yahushua? Well, this is the first step of the Hebrew wedding, right? Purchase of the bride. But there's actually a preliminary step before a bride and a groom can be even engaged or could even entertain the possibility of getting engaged. You know, like there's, when, for example, uh, we want to get married, and I'm sure many young people are there who have considered marriage, they want to know, okay, who can I get married to? Preferably, we marry someone who's of the faith, right? And so there, before we even entertain the possibility of marrying an individual, we have to make sure that that individual we want to marry, we're qualifying to, to be married to you, right? It's the same thing. Before the betrothal process, before step one can even be can even take place, there has to be something preliminary to that. Certain objectives must be met. And this is what uh, the Hebrews call the milkvah, the mikvah. Before step one, the mikvah is, must be satisfied first. What is that? Traditionally, in preparation for the betrothal ceremony, the bride, the kala, and the groom, the chatan, are separately immersed, separately immersed in water in a ritual called mikvah, which is symbolic of spiritual cleansing. Does this remind you of something? Being immersed in water? What does that remind you of? Baptism. So the, the, the bride must be immersed. The groom must be immersed. And so when the, the, the groom and the, the bride are immersed in water to be spiritually cleansed, then they're not qualified to get wet, right? And so now it makes a lot of sense for why Yahushua allowed John the Baptist to do this to him. In Matthew 3, 13 and 17, then Yahushua came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Yahushua answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, all righteousness. Then he allowed him. 
when he had been baptized, Yahusha came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So John the Baptist was shocked when Yahushua goes to him and says, baptize me. And then John was perplexed. Why? I need to be baptized by you. And Yahushua says, permit this to happen because all righteousness must be fulfilled. And one aspect of that righteousness is the fact that Yahushua is going to become sin for us, right? And so he's going to be identified with sin. This is part of what he's going to do. And so when he identifies himself with sin, he needs to be immersed for cleansing. And so he was acting out an aspect of the righteousness of Elohim. Another aspect of that righteousness is because Yahushua is going to liken himself to a bridegroom. A groom. And so he needs to also be immersed, to be cleansed spiritually for the purpose of a wedding. And so if Yahushua the groom is immersed, who also must be immersed to be considered bride of Yahushua? Well, let's read Romans 6, 3 to 5. For surely you know that when we were baptized into union with Christ Yahushua, want to pause there for a while. When we think of marriage, what do we think of? A union between husband and wife. The two shall become one. Well, how can we be made one? How can we be in union with Yahushua? By being baptized. This is what Apostle Paul says. You know that when we were baptized into union with Christ Yahushua, we were baptized into union with his death. By our baptism then, we were buried with him and shared his death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from death with the glorious power of the Father, so also we might live a new life. For since we have become one with him in dying as he did, in the same way, we shall be one with him by being raised to life as he was. And so through baptism, we now become eligible to become bride of Yahushua. Because now we become parts of his body in another uh, metaphor used here by Apostle 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 Paul's using mixed metaphors. But it tells us that Yahushua was immersed into the water. We too should be immersed into the water because when we are immersed into union with Christ Yahushua, we become one with his death. And when we become one with his death, we become one in his resurrection. This is why when Yahushua returns and because we belong to Yahushua, we will meet up with him in the clouds so that we can consummate the wedding of the husband and the wife of the bride and the groom. And so all of this comes beautifully fulfilled when Yahushua returns for the harpazo. We're waiting for that now. Right now, we are likened to a bride waiting for the wedding day, right? And so while we're waiting for the wedding day, what is required of us is to consecrate ourselves. And how do we consecrate ourselves? By being pure, by being loyal, by being devoted to Christ. This is what we need to do now. We're waiting for the return of our king. Glorious will be that day. No sadness that we're facing now could possibly take away from the joy that will be given us when Yahushua returns, when that trumpet is blown, and we will be wed to him and be with him forevermore. This is why whatever we have to endure, whatever hardship or persecution, 
whatever tests we're going through now. That's nothing. Think of that day when Yahusha returns, when Yahusha brings us to himself. He loves us very much. So much so, the payment he gave was the payment of his own life. Beautifully testified to by the Apostle Paul. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. He did this to dedicate the church to God by his word. After making it clean by washing it in water in order to present the church to himself in all its beauty, pure and faultless, without spot or wrinkle or any other imperfection. Men ought to love their wives just as they love their own bodies. A man who loves his wife loves himself. None of us ever hate our own bodies. Instead, we feed them and take care of them just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. We're waiting for our King Yahushua to return, and rightly so. Whatever we have to endure, whatever we have to go through, let us go through them. But we must remain loyal, consecrated. We must remain devoted to our King because he's coming back. Devoted to our groom because he's coming back. And he knows, our bridegroom knows what we have to endure here on earth. This is why even though he is in heaven, he sends his spirit. And through his spirit, he can be manifested in our life. Why does our King Yahushua want to manifest himself in our life through the spirit? Because he wants to feed us. He wants to take care of us. Because he loves us so much so, he gave his life for us. And even while he waits for us to be taken to him, he continues to watch over us. And so, brethren, there's no reason for us to give up hope. Listen for the voice of our bridegroom. Listen to the voice of our king as he prepares us for that day, that glorious day, when we will see him at last. Apostle John said, this is true. These words are true. And so long for the return of our king, Yahushua. That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba. Merciful Yahuwah, thank you for everything that you have given us. Thank you because you have called us to become brides of your beloved son. We, the Ecclesia today, who bear your name and your son's name, have every reason to rejoice. No tribulation or trial or affliction can quench the joy that is in our hearts as we meditate upon that day when you will finally send your beloved son. Help us, Father, to remember what you have in store for all of us. Indeed, there's a happy ending when all is said and done. And so teach us not to place our hope here on earth, but upon you and upon your son, Yahushua. Yahushua, our king. We pledge our loyalty to you. Our undivided purity and devotion is to you. Please accept us. Help us to be focused on you. As we receive your Holy Spirit, may we use it that we can be your instruments in proclaiming your name to all nations and in the work of edifying the saints. May you bless us with strong fellowship with you. May we feel your presence when sometimes we feel down. 
when sometimes we are overtaken by grief, when sometimes we feel weak mentally and physically, during these occasions, when we take the time to think about you, may we hear your voice, that you are right there, that you loved us so much. You paid for us by means of your blood. How we long to hear that voice. Please make it so. It will cause all troubles to dissipate, all grief to disappear. Your voice is powerful and your voice is comforting. We need you now. Pray for us that when you return, when that trumpet sounds, all of us will be taken together with you to be with you forevermore. Father, thank you so much for everything. Help us now to endure. And as we wait, help us that we may testify of you and of your beloved son. Amen. We ask everything, loving Abba, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.